Sevos, and welcome back to another episode of the Pro Hockey Pod, episode six. Uh, we're just buzzing them out right now. Uh, seems to be going pretty well week to week. Uh, this week we have uh, a special guest on. To be quite honest, one of my one of my close friends. Uh, we grew up together, uh, scrummed it out through the the minor hockey ranks, and uh, you know both went on to have our own little interesting adventures, both in college and, and university, and. Both of us conveniently now have gotten into the the coaching side. Uh, obviously, I'm in Europe and uh, Mark back in uh, back in Ontario there in Burlington. But welcome to the podcast, good friend of mine, Mark Corbett. Thanks for having me, buddy. And uh, you touched on a couple of good ones there, so I can't wait to get going here. Yeah, we got lots to talk about. Um, as I always as I always start off, like I like hearing about the you know the kind of beginning. Um, obviously, I know you you grew up in you grew up in Burlington. Sorry. Uh, is that where you first like learned to play hockey kind of fall in love with the game yeah yeah Burlington has a Timbits program here and uh, funny enough some of the guys I started Timbits hockey with when I was four or five uh, ended up playing my whole minor hockey career with Um, so it was pretty cool and then you know jumped into the Eagles Burlington Eagles right away and um, AAA most of my life I dropped down to double A for a couple years there which you know was a lot of fun and taught me a lot about myself and um, you know, even at a young age, and I think actually brought my confidence back, and then moved up and uh, was fortunate enough to play with you guys, uh, minor midget and, and midget and stuff. So it was, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Burlington, you know, born and raised, and and kind of was a Burlington Eagle my whole life. So it was it's a great organization, and and funny enough, which I'm sure we'll circle back on, is is where I'm back to uh, nowadays. Once an eagle, always an eagle, and you brought up a. Uh... A really good point. Um, last week's guest, uh, John Whitelock, brought it up as well. So, you know, obviously we we kind of met each other through hockey and then obviously went to high school together and stuff like that. And there was a point where, you know, we played AAA together and then you went back down uh, to the double A level. And I spoke to John last week about this and I find it's very uh, misinterpreted, I would say, with, you know, people are striving for those three letters. So in Ontario, it's AAA. That's the highest level. And you touched on it yourself. Like, even though you went back to AA, which some people would have thought, oh, like, that's not, that's not very good. You know, it's kind of over. Like you, you kind of accepted and were like, Hey, now I can work on my game. Uh, you know, and you still had the dream of eventually going back to AAA. Can you just comment on, on that? And like how you kind of, you know, motivate yourself to pursue, uh, you know, your dream of playing AAA again? Yeah, it's, I think it's definitely a mindset. I mean, there's definitely no, you know, there's no doubt there's disappointment when you get that call. And I, I think even back then it might have been a letter. Um, but yeah, you you wait around for that call all the time. And then, you you know, you find yourself going back to double A, which, you know, in turn, I had some friends on that team too and kids I grew up with. And I think that's a misconception, like you mentioned nowadays, is like, I, I mean, now that I'm coaching in the the AAA world and stuff, it's just the lengths that people will go to or or the disappointment, you know, of getting cut, right? And, um, you know, like I said, I went back, uh, I think my first year we went to the OMHA semis, so it was like a great year. And then my second year in AA, we went to the OHFs. So it was, you know, it was, uh, I mean, I'm sure if we maybe had a, you know, not as good team, it might have changed my opinion on it. but for me, it was just motivation to get back up to AAA. And I think once you get over the disappointment, it's, you know, it's what mindset you want to have, right? You can kind of just accept like, okay, I'm a double A player and that's that. Or, you know, I had two years, I believe I was minor Bantam Bantam. And, you know, my goal was to get back up there by the draft year. And 
um, you know, I just worked hard and, and kind of, that was the start of my kind of underdog story, we'll call it, but just trying to prove people wrong. Like, you know, you made a bad decision, got called up a couple of games. I got to play with the triple A team. So it kept me interested. And, and obviously, like I said, having the success we did at the double A, you know, kept me motivated to make that next jump. And, um, you know, I think it just teaches you a lot, um, you know, about your, you know, what type of kid you are as well too. Well, and experiencing that, experiencing that, uh, you know, maybe perseverance or obstacles at a young age, I think helps develop, uh, people into the type of, uh, you know, adult, uh, later in life that helps them succeed. And you brought up a good point. Like, it's not like when you went back to double a that, you know, you guys were winning three games a year. Like you guys had a lot of players on that team that probably if in other organizations, because back then it was especially hard to get, uh, you know, releases to go to other uh, minor hockey associations. I'm not sure what it's like today, but, you know, you guys had a lot of guys who could have probably been playing AAA. And as you said, you guys had a lot of success, you know, the two years there, OHAs, OHFs. So that obviously allowed you to work on your game, but also play in those high pressure playoff tournament uh, situations. Well, that's it. Yeah. Like I learned a lot about myself and, and, you know, like, like anything you get cut, you get fired, you, whatever you, you lose a little bit of self-motivation and, and just belief in yourself. Right. So I got down, the coaches were great. They kind of knew I was obviously disappointed coming back down at a young age. And, um, you know, they kind of just took the reins off me and, and kind of allowed me to do what I did. And, um, you know, I knew going back up to AAA eventually was going to be tough because there were some good defensemen there. And I knew I was going to kind of be behind them, which was fine. And but it allowed me to grow as a player like I was playing, like you said, in all situations I was playing. And, you know, and and funny enough, it was still some of my best memories was was, you know, I can recall the one OMHAs in Oshawa. And like, I know exactly what happened. I know the score of the game. Like, it's it's crazy. And I was I don't even know, 13 years old, 14 years old. And it was with a lot of friends and and still friends to this day. So it's, yeah, it teaches you a lot about it. I think this generation nowadays is a little bit different and, and they don't, uh, they don't persevere as well, I guess you could say, or, or deal with, you know, adversity as much. But back then, our, you know, my parents were just kind of like, well, it's up to you what you want to do if you want to work your way back up or if you want to just, you know, be a double A player the rest of your life. So um, they supported me. And and then after that, it was kind of whatever mindset I wanted to have. I remember both, uh, I believe it was both years. Like we were in high school and I remember going to your, your playoff games. Like you guys, I think you're the one year you played Tecumseh or something. And yeah. I remember going to those games, it was like it was during the week and it was kind of like the thing to, the thing to do was go support, uh, you know, the Eagles and, uh, you know, guys like yourself, Drew Fielding, uh, people like that. So like, and it was still like the you know, central arena was, pretty packed for uh for whatever we were 15 year old double a hockey game you know it was almost like a junior atmosphere and i think that also adds into you know the the playing factor of you know got you guys up for those games and even motivated you and even more to, to to succeed yeah absolutely like i see it now with you know i'm sure we'll get into it but you know i coach u18 now and and when their high school buddies come and stuff like that it's it's you know they get a little bit more energized and and I think we had a you know our 1990 age group I would say was all pretty close to be honest like from you know triple a double a single a all the way um you know when I got called up it was like you know nothing changed I wasn't the outside guy like we all buddies like you said we all went to school together and then on the double a team we all went to different schools but we all were friends with the triple a guys like it was no you know there was, wasn't much of a I think 
nowadays it's almost more of a status where for us it was just a, a letter right like you mentioned so it was uh no we had a really really fun age group and and a lot of us are still kind of friends to this day which is kind of cool and and whether we see each other all the time or whether we see each other once a year it's so we pick up right where we left off for sure and i i was just thinking like i would have hate to have been one of those coaches back then having to make these decisions because as you said it's not like you know, the AAA team, I don't know how many guys we have. Say we have 18 guys, you take six defensemen. It wasn't like we had six and then, you know, there was a huge gap between, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10 or whatever, who went down to double A. Like it was every year, you know, you can make a debate depending, especially on how camps went, how the previous year went, like, could this person switch in for this person? So I think, like you said, that put it, that's a testament to the Burlington minor hockey system one and also our age group, like the 1990 age group, like you know one of the one of the better age groups for sure yeah and, and i think it's across the board too like that whole age group even i mean as we know some of the players we played against in minor hockey and stuff like that like it was just a strong age group i think that year and, and i think that's just a common factor sometimes is every every year is a different you know strength and i think our year was just a tough one and and like i said like both teams always had success whether it was triple a double a um, you know, whatever it was is like you said, at any given year, you could have, you know, intertwine, you know, maybe one piece here, one piece there, or like you said, kind of comes down to a flip of a coin of who you're taking. So it was, no, it was a lot of fun. We had a great group, um, you know, all the way up triple A, double A. And, uh, like I said, we're all friends to this day, which is, which is something cool. And I try and instill in some of our guys is that, you know, it's lifelong friends, whether, like I said, you hang out all the time or you see each other once in a while. One other thing I wanted to ask you about before we move on from the the minor hockey path is, you know, you you played two years of, of midget. And again, this is something I don't know how it is now. You would know more than me. We can cover that part of it later. But when, when we were playing at, at that age, it was always, hey, if you can do one year and then go off to junior, go off to the OHL, whatever it is, you know, guys were always trying to race out of there where someone like yourself and also the guest I talked to last week who ended up playing two years as well. I believe it's, it's better for development. Like you're, you're able to, you know, constantly work on your skills, um, you know, work on your leadership as well, because you were always a strong, a strong spoken person. Um, and I know you guys had a really good team that year. It seemed like every tournament you guys went to, you either won or lost in the finals. So I feel like that would have definitely helped you for transitioning, you know, the following year into, uh, into junior. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, you know, first year midget, you know, you play with a second age group, I think that year and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we, we probably had a half and half mix of second year guys and first year guys. So again, you're still kind of behind, you know, you're out of the shadows of maybe the draft now, but now you're still behind, you know, a couple older guys and whatever. And, and then, yeah, my second year back, um, you know, we had a good core come back and, and then I just took off that year. Like that was my year to like, be like, okay, I'm the, I'm the older guy now. Like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a leader and I'm going to show everyone. And yeah, like obviously it helped. We had a very, very successful team. I think we were ranked, you know, one in Ontario, three in Canada, most of the year, like it was pretty crazy. And um, yeah, it teaches you a lot. And, and again, yeah, like you said, we'll probably get into it, but it's something that, you know, I'm starting to see now that I'm coaching this age group, I'm starting to see a lot of guys come back now and, and kind of, you know, and sometimes I tell my story and, you know, they like to look me up because I think my last year of midgets on there, but, uh, no, it just gets you ready. You play in the right situations. You play in those high pressure situations. You get your call-ups, which is great. Like I remember I was getting called up to the Cougars at that point and stuff like that. So it does help you, but I think it's just, you know, in my opinion now, and what I see nowadays is, 
it just allows you to play and not sit on the bench. Right. And that's the biggest thing for kids these days that I think the problem is nowadays, you know, without getting into it too much is kids kind of chase the status of, you know, what they're putting on their Instagram saying junior A and blah, blah, blah. But if you're not playing, then like, what's the point of putting that status? Right. So that's kind of where I, I had a, uh, that was a blast of a year. Like we went out to Kelowna again. That's where we started, you know, having fun. We went both years, but yeah, like you said, we were winning tournaments left, right and center. It, you know, I don't even know what our record was that year, but it just got me again, another confidence boost to get ready for junior and and to kind of take over and make that next step. And then you talked, you just mentioned that next step. Obviously the next year you went and played uh junior B in, in Stony Creek, your first year of a uh, full season of, of, of junior tier two junior. Um, couple of things I want to touch on. So after that midget year, were you at all thinking, Hey, could I go to an OHL camp? Because obviously, you know, I've talked about this with a few other guests is like when we were growing up, like the OHL was everything. And, you know, we only really heard about NCAA from like, you know, Mark Juris, like Josh's dad, stuff like that. Like I really wasn't familiar with it until, uh, playing Cougars and stuff, but was there any interest, uh, you know, that way of going to camps or was it more like, Hey, I'm going to go play tier junior. And obviously Stony Creek, uh, offered you the opportunity to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, you still, like you said, like that was, it still is kind of the mindset nowadays is that it's OHL or bust. And it's, it's to be honest, there's so many like, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into it once I tell my story, but like you sports, like no one even knows probably still what that means. And like, it's like the hockey is unbelievable. Um, so for me, it was, uh, you know, yeah, I would have liked to have another shot. Like what they've added, which is really nice, is they've added a U18 draft now. Uh, you know, it's a small draft, three rounds, but I would have loved that back when I had it because I think it just gives motivation for guys to, you know, play year midget. Okay, I didn't get drafted, whatever, it didn't go my way. Okay, now I have another chance to go there, right? Because some guys just mature at a different age and, you know, strength, body size, like everything, mm-hmm. right? So it was, uh, yeah, and funny enough, and I, I don't even know if you know this story, but before I signed in Stony Creek, actually, I was out in Wellington with the Dukes, and I was literally billeting already there. And the night or two, and I actually think you might have played with this guy, and I'm trying to forget, remember his name when you went down to Oshrigo, but I got cut or released the night before because a guy came back from Belleville, and that's why I kind of ended up in Stony Creek like late. I think I signed with him like, mid-September and I signed in on as like a seventh or eighth defenseman because at that time they were already full I had already moved into my billets at Wellington like I was I remember I lived up in an attic almost like I remember the story to the day and you know the day before they're like we're you know we're not going to build a seventh six seventh defenseman which I knew I had to put my time in and yeah I had to go home to Stony Creek but yeah that's kind of where it all started it was in Stony Creek with uh Rick Natras who I still run into these days which is you know if anyone knows him he's quite the was quite the player. I won a Stanley Cup and stuff like that. So that was a it was a great intro to junior hockey for me. You want to talk a little bit about the the difference back then? I mean, I I'm not familiar with it now. I think it's obviously gained a lot more recognition, but I know back then, especially at least for NCAA teams and stuff, it was like if you weren't playing uh you know in the OJHL or BCHL or all like the first tier two uh, tier two leagues, you know they weren't really like scouting junior B in a sense. Like, like it's obviously I think changed now. I know a lot of guys who play junior B and are getting scholarships, but like, how was it perceived back then in terms of playing in the, the GOJHL? Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes back to like not knowing a lot about it. Right. Like I kind of, I think it was Andrew Dovey and, and 
someone else that were there actually. And that's the only reason I kind of knew about Stony Creek. And because like you said, growing up, it was like OHL. And if it wasn't OHL, it was junior A. And then it was like, well, what do I do after junior A? Right. Like, so yeah, I had a, I didn't really have an opinion on junior B until I got there. And then, you know, as the season went on, I'm like, okay, like there's guys here that, you know, you think of the Midwest or you think of the West divisions, right? Like those are kids that maybe just didn't want to move away from home for junior. Right. So they were pretty strong teams out that way. Um, I think that's when uh, Sheehan and Lev's got scholarships out of junior B too. So that kind of changed the tide a little bit. Um, you know, I don't know if they finished their career in junior B, but that's, you know, kind of where they got their scholarship out of, or they're starting down in St. Catharines and stuff. And I think that changed the perception a little bit. And, and now I think, you know, the way you look at it is, you know, the top teams in junior B could, in my opinion, beat the bottom junior A teams, right? Like it's not that far off. And I think it's gained a lot of respect. I just actually watched highlights from literally last night, a couple games uh, clinching to go to the Southern Cup. Like you're talking two, 3,000 fans in these small towns. Like you can't, you can't beat that. Like I'll never forget. We went to Sarnia um, in the Sutherland Cup round robin, and we got there at four, probably four o'clock for a seven o'clock game. And the parking lot was packed, tailgating, whatever you name it. Like I've never played in a barn like that was that loud before. And I think that's that's a big thing, to be honest, is that they love their hometowns. They love their junior B hockey. They're passionate about it. Um, and and like I said, like that was some, some of the stuff I'll I'll never forget about junior B. And I think you know, now the path to go out West, to be honest, is to play your junior B and then it's easier to get out West after junior B than junior A, just because of the way they, you know, make moves and trades and money and stuff is, you know, I think the Kilties, for example, Hamilton Kilties have uh, two or three guys going out West this year and stuff like that. Right. So you just put your time in for a year and then you, you or a year or two, and then you head out there. So I think the, the reality of junior A is still there, but then top junior B teams is, is almost just as good. Oh, I agree. And you, you touched on something that I think is kind of unique. Like I, on my path, like I, before I played Cougars, I went to Strathroy on just like a rookie camp or something, whatever. And I remember getting a tour of their barn and it was like a barn when I say that, like small rink, but they packed it. And like, I always thought that was cool. Like, obviously I enjoyed my time in Burlington. We had a brand new rink, brand new dressing room, brand new gym. But because we switched sides of town, you know, we're getting like, 200 250 like you know if we're playing oakville or someone then we're getting maybe 400 500 and it was so small that it was decently packed but then i think of these like small towns you know like the strathroy's the uh, i believe saint mary saint thomas like you just hear of stories like that of like you know this is the thing to do on on the weekend like the whole town comes together they go to these te- uh games and as you said like for it to be four o'clock in a parking lot to be just ram tailgating you know almost like nfl uh kind of mindset like i think that's something that as you said is under appreciated like these about these leagues and and just like how the town support them and i wish there was a way i don't even know how to say it like to not create a super league but a way to where you can kind of like you know every year you do maybe some crossover games or something or just like kind of get exposure so like you know these bigger teams can say hey these are what these small teams these small town teams do and vice versa yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I think it's and I think it's sometimes just condensing the leagues, right? Like there's so many teams out there. If you can if you can condense the leagues, it just brings in more fans, right? Because then they travel a little bit further and stuff like that. But yeah, no, I remember like even uh the Bentavinias, you know, Rob was, you know, a year younger than us, but his brother played for Thorold. And I remember like him being like, Hey, like we gotta go down to a Thorold 
you know, game, we got to go early. I'm like, what do you mean? We got to go early. He's like, oh, it's going to be sold out. I'm like, what? And then like when I played in the junior B, we, we played Thorold. I think we played them in the playoffs and maybe the first round or second round. And same thing, like showed up at 4.30 on the bus. People already had their like blankets laid out, saving seats. I was like, what is like, what is going on here? And, and even for us in like Valley Park Arena, for those that know it, it's not a big barn. And I remember when we played I don't know if it was uh, it was Niagara in the finals, and I, I funny enough, I think even you and Juris were there the one game, but like the place was ramped, like people sitting in the walkways, people's up on like wherever they could, like a thousand people in a barn that probably holds like four hundred, like it was it was crazy, and that's you know I had such a different view on junior B hockey after that year, and and obviously we had a lot of success, but um, you know and good coaching, but you know I had so much more respect for that league after. You know, not that I didn't before, but just a different outlook on, you know, the difference between junior B and junior A. And and now I'm kind of going through with my guys, guiding them in the right direction. And and I always tell them, like, you know, top tier junior B teams, there's there's no reason not to go there. Oh, for sure. And like you just raised a good point. It's you can think uh, you can have an opinion on a league, but until you've actually played in it, um, you know, we'll, we'll touch on that on that later. Um, obviously, we briefly played together in uh in Fayetteville in the SP. Um, yeah. but then, so after this year in Stony Creek, you, you made the jump to, to tier two junior A. So you, in the OJHL, so you played one year in Kuchiching and then one year in Oakville. When you're playing these years, obviously you've made it to the, the top tier junior in, in, uh, in Ontario, like, you know, the next step would be either OHL or you're starting to think about school. What was your thinking process in terms of, you know, CIS, U Sports versus NCAA, D1 or, or D3? Like, what was kind of going through your head during these times? Yeah, when I played up, when I moved up to Kuching, that was kind of like, you know, um, just thought it was a cool experience to move away. I actually got to, you know, bill it with uh, my uncle who's who's now passed. But, you know, that was, it was probably honestly the most fun I had to, to this day, that group that we had up there. And living close to Barry and half the guys build it there. But yeah, like kind of like, yeah, you, you know, you made that next step in your career and you're like, you know, proud of yourself. And, and again, we kind of had a good year. That was that year that we kind of did that little weird split of, I don't know what it was, whatever anyways. But um, yeah, there was a North division again, kind of fun up in the North, like Huntsville had good crowds. Collingwood was still there. So they had good crowds now that, you know, now they're back and kind of doing the same thing. So uh, a lot of fun up there. And then kind of like when I was up there, I was taking some part-time college courses thinking like, okay, you know what, at this point I've had a good, you know, good college or a good junior run and, you know, maybe play one more year and then I'll just go to school. You know, like I hadn't really, to be honest, I didn't really thought about school in that coaching year because I was just, you know, as far as playing there, but um, and then kind of after that year, coaching uh, folded. So we were kind of free agents allowed to go wherever. And, you know, I was fortunate enough that I had, when I was playing with Stony Creek, I had AP'd with Oakville a bunch. So they, they, um, they knew who I was and they're like, well, why don't you just come home and play your 20 year old year here? Same thing. And we're moving in, they were moving into a new barn, which is 16 mile now, which was an amazing facility. And, um, that's kind of where I started to think, okay, maybe I can do something. And, you know, NCAA was, yeah, for sure. The, the goal at that point, but you know, again, it's, it's not easy, right? Like dime a dozen go there and, you know, pretty tough. So I had a lot of D3 interests that year, which, you know, again, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. You know, could I make a career, you know, am I, should I just go to school and, you know, get an education up here and then work. Um, and then funny enough, like you, you mentioned youth sports, I didn't even really know what it was until I want to say it was October, November of my 20 year old year. And, um, 
you know, coach came in, he's like, Corbs, you know, someone wants to talk to you out here. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. You know, I thought maybe my mom or dad or something, you know, and uh, guy introduced himself. He's like, Hey, I'm Graham Wise from Ireson University. And I'm sitting there almost like, uh, okay, cool. Like, you know, where, what are we talking about here? And he's like, you know, we play youth sports and I know the leagues have changed, you know, a couple of times over the years, but in the OUA and I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. So what's all this about? And then, and then, yeah, I kind of like, to be honest, from that day, I started like Googling, like, you know, the league and all this stuff. I'm like, Oh, okay. This is actually like, you know, OHL guys go there after their, you know, their career use their school packages. I'm like, Oh, I guess, you know, pretty cool opportunity if I can play a couple more years. Right. Again, still wasn't really thinking much of my hockey career, but it was like, if I can play and go to school and get an education, I'm like, this is a kind of a win-win situation so yeah that was kind of like to be honest my 20 year old year like October November was the first time I was even introduced to to youth sports and and you know again like you said playing in a league and now you have the utmost respect for it and I think that's only growing as well too in Ontario here and I mean obviously out west and out east they're they're pretty predominant programs um and yeah it was it was pretty funny like you said not even having a clue about it and to this day I bet you people don't even know about it still lot to comment on on that uh on that there no i was just so like a couple of things so one i talked about this with mike mike Uza, so i had on i think two episodes ago like he obviously went to university of new brunswick and you know same thing like when he was growing when he was growing up he played in the ohl and it was like you know once you go cis it's like okay it's terrible hockey you're done get your degree good luck in life and uh i think even when we were playing that was still the 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 perception of it everyone was kind of thinking maybe down on it compared to ncaa um for those listening like i I played both ncaa division one and division three division one you know they have the scholarships it's great if you can get that you get your school paid for division three especially i'm not sure how it is now but when i played when i transferred this the year i transferred my sophomore year was the last year that they offered financial help for sport so my junior and senior year, unless you have an academic scholarship for your for obviously your schoolwork, which I was not going to get, um, you're paying full price for this, and it's 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 a lot of money, and that's that's something that I remember. I think it was Daniel Savelli's dad. I saw him. This would have been you when you were playing there. I think my assistant coach was there, and I, I you were in playoffs against Burlington when you guys were playing them against in Oakville, and. I remember talking to Daniel Savelli's dad and I was like, Hey, like, uh, so what's Daniel doing after? Like, is he thinking of going somewhere? And he was like, yeah, he's going to go CIS. And I just had asked him, I said, Hey, has he ever thought about D3? I think, you know, it'd be great for him too. And then his dad was like, you know, Andrew, like it's, it's a lot of money. And it was something that I was like, yeah, like, you know, people don't know that. Like they think it's, it's the same as D1. Like here's your scholarship, here's your full ride. And that's, uh, you know, sometimes that also is is the factor because you know, not saying that CIS is cheap, but it's definitely cheaper than going D three in the states. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, it's a financial it's a financial cost, right? And and it's uh, like you said, I think it's been taken away. There, I think there's some like you know, financial aid based on maybe what you're you know still some schools like what you kind of make, and then yeah, into academics, but. Yeah, you don't see as many kids going D3 as you used to, like back when I think we played, like it was everyone was like, you know, Oswego, Plattsburgh, like you name it, we were going to it, right? Because it was kind of very similar, like you said. And then, yeah, I think it's changed now. And and now I think it's made it even tougher because, you know, U sports and stuff, you don't see many tier two junior A guys unless you're top of the top 20 year olds, like going to that league because it's all XOHL guys now. No, for sure. Um, 
Another thing I want to talk about, so obviously this this coach comes and talks to you about Ryerson University. I believe they have a different name now, but I'm just going to call them Ryerson for the sake of this. Um, was there any other schools that, that had showed interest or like, did you go visit Ryerson and you were like, hey, like, you know, uh, I'm, I, I want to go here. I, I could see myself doing, you know, my school here and also playing hockey here. Yeah, I talked to a couple other schools, like I think Brock back then, um, Laurier, and then even like RMC and stuff like that. And um, yeah, like it's, you know, and then I got the tour of kind of Ryerson and and we I did have to tough it out one year at uh, George Bell, which you'd have to Google, everyone would, but um, but I knew they were moving into Maple Leaf Gardens. And at that point I was kind of like, okay, like didn't even think I was playing hockey after junior. And now I can you know, say I played in Maple Leaf, like the old Maple Leaf Gardens and and have the same rafters and all this stuff. And that was kind of when, you know, over that year, the probably next couple of months, I was kind of like, okay, like, you know, what's NCAA D3? I'd gone on a lot of visits there, Fredonia, Morrisville, a um, couple other ones at that point. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, what am I going to do after school? Like, am I going to keep playing or am I just going to go work? So I was like, well, you know, at, at this point, I'll just get a Canadian education that's recognized a little bit more. I'm not saying they're not in the States, but um, then, yeah, I went on that tour at Ryerson and I was just like, you know what, like, let's give this a shot. If it works for a couple of years, great. If it doesn't, and I ended up working out for four years and yeah, it was, it was an awesome experience and living downtown Toronto was, was an eye opener as well. So um yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, I had a lot of respect for, like I said, like after that kind of conversation, I did a lot of Googling and I was like, oh, some pretty good players. And funny enough, guys, we grew up with that had four-year OHL stints and stuff were like kind of now coming into the same league like I was in. So it's kind of like, you know, that was like a bit of a, you know, pat on the back for myself, right? Being like, well, hey, like, you know, different paths, but we kind of made it to the same league at the end of the day. Everybody has different paths. Um, you brought up a good point. So that first year, I remember I came and watched you at that rink. Like, for those who do not know where this rink is, it is the opposite side of where the school is. So it's you're going, whatever it was a thirty minute, forty minute commute through Toronto, Toronto traffic to get to this rink. Um, because of this, you guys obviously didn't have a lot of fans in that rink when I was there. There wasn't there wasn't many, but you know, I think that also just talks to the dedication of you know the guys who went there because you know doing this commute every day for practice so how many four days a week plus one to two times for a game like you know it's not it's not easy not everybody has cars you know some guys are probably taking public transit toronto is obviously not the best place to drive either because there's so many people on the road that just as i said is a testament to these guys you know whether they went on and played after or not it was just enjoying that full experience and enjoying playing uh you know youth sports hockey yeah yeah it was uh it was like, okay, here's your, you know, financial student athlete help. And then here's your TTC card, which is the Toronto transit card. And I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, yeah, you got to get up to the rink somehow. I was like, what the heck? So, you know, the cool part about Ryerson was when I went in my first year, they kind of like, not really cleared house, but they brought in, I, I want to say 12 or 13 freshmen. So we kind of all had to like learn it together. And it was kind of like the fun part about it is we had like a large, large freshman class or first year class. And that kind of made it funny too. Like we had to, yeah, like subway up, subway across, jump on a bus. Like it was, and you had to time it. Like that was the other thing. It wasn't even like, it was just like, you know, you can go whenever you want. You're like, okay, if I can hit this bus and then whatever. But yeah, like you said, like we, we all knew what was coming with the Maple Leaf Gardens, but it was, it was a grind for the first year. Um, you know, but wouldn't change it. Like you said, like a lot of adversity, a lot of, you know, whatever. And 
away teams hated to come play out. So that was great. It was a positive, but yeah, Toronto was crazy for driving and stuff. So a lot of time spent on the subway and the uh, TTC buses to say the least that year. Another thing I wanted to ask you about. So when you think of university, it doesn't matter where Canada, US, um, you think of a campus, you know, you think of having dorms on a campus, uh, cafeterias, uh, all the school buildings together. I know that's at least in a lot of the schools I saw in the States, that's how it's kind of structured. I know there's some places where they'll be in a big city, but I remember when I came and visited you the one time and we went out and I was like, okay, so you live in this apartment building (laughs) on floor like 23 and we have to take a 10 minute taxi to go to this grocery store, which is by the, it's just technically campus. And then later that night we took another taxi to this bar. Like, can you kind of comment on like, I mean, I'm sure it was fun at times. I'm sure sometimes it got annoying, but like not having the traditional, you know, college campus experience. Yeah, no, no. It's something I, I talk to people about all the time, right? Like it was, we had one quad like, right in the middle of the city and then, you know, which had a lot of classrooms. But then, yeah, like you said, like I had classes in the movie theater, like no joke. Like I would be in a like and worse too. 8 a.m. or you're in those nice, comfy movie movie seats. I had economics too, which was a bore fest. So like I was like, you know, it was hard to stay awake. Like it was, uh, yeah, it was unique. You had classrooms that were in random buildings that you know, you're walking, you're walking, it's like store, 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 boom, stairwell up to a classroom. And you're like, what the heck? Like, where am I here? So I think it changed a bit now. They've added some buildings. Like, uh, I know TMU building now, like there's a really nice Rogers uh, business building now and stuff. But yeah, same thing. It's still in the middle of like, you know, you got the Eaton Center and then you got the school right beside it, like, you know, a random building, that's all the classes there. So that's one thing I do. I do. uh or I did miss, I guess you could say, is that kind of that campus, like, you know, and, and like yourself, like we went into school or, or similar to you, but, you know, we went into school at 20 years old too, right? So we didn't get the whole like dorm, like, you know, all that chaos uh, experience as well too. So yeah, it was kind of weird. No, like student housing, you're not bunked up with six guys, like, you know, so I did a lot of school visits that year or over those four years to like Brock and Guelph. I had buddies there um you know just to uh just to kind of get that feel but at the same time you know people liked coming to toronto to visit and party and stuff like that so it's one thing if i could go back on you know probably would like to have that kind of campus life feel dorms you know whatever but uh still wouldn't change kind of my path for uh for anything yeah it was as i said before it was definitely funny visiting you um you know you're like just a say it bluntly you didn't feel like you were in university like i felt like you were just like living in an apartment and you had a, a job you know like it was that's just how it was but you know as you said it's it kind of prepared you i think it prepared you for you know life like you know what you're doing now like a lot of a lot of driving around you know sometimes big cities sometimes small cities having to you know time management uh different travel methods so it definitely at that age you know 20 to 23 uh, definitely prepared you for the real world. And I think almost in a sense, you were more prepared to, for the real world than like maybe in my case, because it's like, you know, I lived in a, a, a bubble for four years. It's fake life. You got this college town, everything's taken care of, like food, school, hockey, whatever. Like, you know, then you get out and it, it's like a shell shock where to you, you were already kind of one foot into the to the real world in a sense with living and stuff so it probably ended up preparing you better and helping you adjust easier than maybe someone in uh you know a campus situation yeah no like we i mean 
like where I lived, it was like, you know, one street that way, one street this way. Like you saw different things every day. And, you know, when we did our, you know, like you said, compared to other schools, like when we did our, you know, kids programs and stuff like that, these guys, these kids were coming from, you know, low income housing and, you know, they would walk to the rink on their own at like night. Like it was just, to be honest, it, it taught me a lot and also just showed me like a whole different, you know, world that I have respect for now that, you know, we, we had life pretty good and we do have life pretty good. And we kind of got to see the, the other side of it and, you know, we did what we could, but yeah, like we were living in a city and going to school is what I kind of say. And and a lot of, I think other kids would say the opposite. Like we, we went to school and we were in the city of Guelph or whatever it was. Right. So yeah, it was, it made you grow up fast and, you know, had to be, you know, you lived in a big city and literally the term see something new every day like you saw something new every day whether it was good or bad but uh no it, it makes you grow up fast for sure after these uh these four years in uh downtown toronto you decided you were gonna try the the north american grind i would say um you know obviously the the sphl so it's it's one below the east coast and for those who think the echl is a grind the SP ain't, ain't much, ain't much better. And I, I, you know, we'll, we'll touch on it. Like the travel in in this league is crazy depending on what team you're on. You know, sometimes you're on a bus for like 18 hours, you know, obviously uh, the money isn't, uh, you're not there to make a living, you know, it's more to like grind away and hopefully make your way up and just, you know, play pro hockey. Uh, luckily you're, for, for you, like your first year, you, you kind of entered into a good experience. So, you know, you, you get on Knoxville eventually and you guys end up winning, uh, winning a championship. You want to just talk about that? Like your first, uh, you know, half a season pro hockey, you end up being a champion. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty cool. <laughs> like you said, I eventually got there. Um, yeah, it was kind of a, you know, again, kind of, you go through your four years of school, you don't really know about the next level. You don't know guys leave like right after their season's done. So kind of my fourth year that started coming up a little bit, like, because in U sports too, you kind of can play five years. So I had decided to play just four and get out of there. Um, and then, yeah, I had some buddies down in the SP and they're like, they're like, you know, what are you doing? A couple guys that actually went to Adrian college and stuff and played against you. And um, they're like, what are you doing after school? I'm like, I don't know, writing exams and like going to go find a summer job. Like, what are you doing? They're like, well, why don't you come down and play? And I'm like, well, is that a thing? They're like, yeah, like leave right after your last, you know, playoff game and let's go. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So, yeah, like, luckily I was in a program where my professors, like, we were in a pretty small program, so they all knew who I was and kind of just cleared it with them. I'm like, hey, I'm, I got this opportunity to go down to the States to finish out my last couple months of hockey, but also school. Like, can I write my exams when I'm down there? Like, get them proctored down there. And they're like, yeah, like, that's awesome. Like, And they didn't even really know a lot about hockey, but they were like, yeah, sure, go for it. Like, because I had a lot of written exams too, which I could have just submitted and, um, yeah, so I kind of had two teams interested in me, Mississippi and uh, Knoxville, and I had some buddies kind of on both teams and, you know, kind of had to flip a coin there. And funny enough, went down to Mississippi and because I took, you know, a couple extra days to make a decision, they had also brought another guy in at the same time and, you know, told Knoxville I wasn't coming and went down to Mississippi for a hot cup of coffee and a couple weeks of a three-gamer and they decided to keep another defenseman over me so at that point I was like okay you know that was sweet like maybe I should just go back now and I had two two pretty good buddies on Knoxville and they're like dude just come over I'm like dude the coach like I already told the coach no like two weeks ago he's not gonna take me in or whatever and and anyways he's like well give it a shot so I was like whatever and funny enough we had played 
Knoxville, I think one of my three games and and then like one of the first couple of games when I did get to Knoxville was against Mississippi again. So it was kind of a funny tale, but yeah, I called Mike Craigan in Knoxville and who's an Ontario guy. And I just said, Hey man, like straight up, I made a mistake. My bad. You know, can I still come? And he's like, yeah, drive on over. So yeah, picked up a car, rented a car and boom, I was in Knoxville, played that night. Um, and then, you know, kind of Cinderella story. We saw Mississippi in the finals and, uh, and won. And, and that was honestly, man, like playing in Knoxville, the weather's unbelievable. Wrote my exams at the university of Tennessee, like, which is, I mean, another story in itself, but, um, country style town, which I like. And, uh, yeah, it was cool. Like, and just, you know, I played, my captain was 13 year pro and I never won a championship. And I was fortunate enough just to literally come out of school for two months and win a championship. So it really just shows you the grind. Like you mentioned of some of these guys that played like 13, 14, 15 years of pro and never won anything. And I was fortunate enough to kind of, you know, two months in win my first pro pro championship and, and Knoxville was unreal. Like the fans were, you know, again, you talk about getting there early, like we're walking down to the back door at four o'clock and the, you know, the, the runways lined with fans, the place was, I still go back to be honest and watch on YouTube, the, the call of the overtime goal to win it. And like the place was just 4,000, 5,000 people in a place that's like all about football and like basketball, like, you know, like Knoxville ice bears are like, what's that? Like we're going to the, you know, we're hanging out in the pool by, you know, the time we're playing the playoff shorts and a t-shirt, that's how nice the weather was. So yeah, I was very, very fortunate to win a championship and and it's, they're hard to come by as we all know. Um, so very fortunate and, and something I'll never forget too. Well, as you said, it's pretty, you know, there's that one player that had been playing 13 years and never won anything. And you obviously, uh, you know, two months in or whatever it is a month in your pro career have a championship. So it's all about, you know, sometimes timing and, you know, kind of some luck of being put in good situations, you know, obviously went to Mississippi first and then you end up going to Knoxville, which you know, ended up being the right decision. And I think, you know, having the ability to win something like that, your first, uh, your first year pro and you kind of experience, you know, what it's like to be on top kind of allows you to set the bar for, you know, the next couple of years that you, you obviously played in that league because you've, you've seen like the, the ultimate, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's different if you go in and, you know, you play on a team that doesn't win and you guys are terrible, don't make playoffs. Then it's kind of like, okay, well, hopefully next year we make playoffs where now it's, Hey, we won a championship. Like that's my goal. I'm, I'm, I'm now known as a, as a, SPHL champion like that's on my resume so your next two years there um I'm sure you know the, your mindset was okay let's let's help a team for a full season let's go win another one yeah no it's definitely you know I think back and you watch all these you know the NHL Stanley Cup you watch the American League you watch the East Coast and in that moment you don't really care what league you're in like you, you know the the dressing room's tarped off the same way the the beer cart looks the same in the middle of the room the champagne bottles pop the same like it, it's something that you know it's not like i go around saying i was an sphl champion i just said yeah i won a, a championship in a pro league right in that moment you don't care the fans don't care no one cares you're eating you're drinking moonshine like you're in the south like it's just i think that's something people don't realize is that they're like wow like you know i don't want to go down to that <laughs> league but i'm like when you win a championship you're a champion for life it doesn't matter like Frank, we were still in the Hockey Hall of Fame, you know, in the SP with hosting the cup, right? Like it's, I think that's a misconception of these leagues and titles and letters and all this stuff is like, you know, 
to win a championship is hard at any league, any level, any sport. And and I think that's what I took away from it. Like you said, it's just, you know, that was my mindset after that was like, Hey, like I know what it took. I saw what it took. And, you know, to be honest, I wasn't even a top guy there. Like I was playing a role and I saw what it took to get there. And it, it was incredible. Well, everybody, that's the key to winning is everybody. It's everyone's a different piece to the puzzle. And I think that's sometimes forgotten. They think just, you know, okay, we're going to put the best scoring team together. Well, that's not how you win in playoffs. You need everybody having their role. You need some defensive guys and you guys who are going to finish the body, play tough, kind of stuff like that. Um, but I wanted to just kind of say as well, like, you know, you're talking about like the the misconception. Well, to be quite honest, a lot of people like when they go to these leagues, like, you know, they're not delusional. They're not like, okay, I'm going to go to the SP and I'm going to make a living off this. Like it's, it's the go because you love the game. You want to go play pro, have fun, you know, experience, you know, different states, different countries, whatever it is. You know, obviously, uh, we played together briefly in Fayetteville for two, I think it was two weekends I was there. And like, I'll be quite honest, like, I don't think I could handle a season there because like the travel is ridiculous. Like, luckily, I was fortunate enough. The I played three games and the two away ones we played were our closest one, which closest by saying was six hours. So like our closest bus trip was six hours in Fayetteville to Macon, I believe. And like, I remember the next weekend when I left, like, I think you guys were going to Pensacola or something. And it was, that's a long one. And I was like, Oh, thank God. I didn't have to do that. But that's, you know, some guys like they love the game that much that they're willing to be on those buses for 15 20 hours and it's it's totally worth it to them it's not about the money it's just about the the memories and the experience yeah i mean that's exactly it like those and i think that makes you cherish the memories you have like with the guys you had because like again yeah you're not you're not making millions you're you're looking for happy hour everywhere like you're you know what i mean like that's and like you said the travel the grind the three and threes like to put like my body through another three and three where you play friday night saturday night sunday afternoon and and possibly with some travel in there like all the respect to those guys and and what we did because there was there was times by sunday afternoon you're like and sometimes you're playing the same team three times in a row and you're just like like just get away from me like i'm so tired of seeing your face like you know but that's what it was and again still friends with you know and we'll maybe get into it but i got a group chat that still goes off to this day from when i played in peoria and, and it's like a daily group chat like we're still firing stuff over and stuff like that and, and trying to get a reunion together but you know that's how tight it was because again you weren't making millions everyone's making the same and you know you're having the same fun and whatever but it's uh yeah it was it's a grind of a league but it's uh you know stuff that everyone's doing so everyone's kind of in it together i guess you could say yeah and uh one thing i wanted to touch on was also like the booster clubs of these teams like they are lifesavers like as you said you're not making a lot of money so like you know if you're there with you know maybe a girlfriend or wife or kids or alone it doesn't matter but you know these these booster clubs these these diehard fans you know there's deals everywhere for you guys to get food uh you know if you need something they put together money to try to get it for you you know i, I remember fans paying for my groceries and bringing all this stuff that they had extra just so like to help us out and it's just like normal to them it's like you know they get it and like i think i wish that was more of a thing in europe hockey like especially in the lower lower levels uh, at least in germany it's you know it's not it's not so popular as it is back there but they yeah they uh they really step up and, and help you feel like you know 
you know, the money I'm making, okay, I mean, I should be able to save some of the, some of this because you know, the booster club's helping you out, uh, you know, that way. Yeah. It's like having a second family down there. Like I was pretty fortunate with all my billets, like, or, uh, sorry, booster booster families, I guess you can call them, but like some of them, I'm still, you know, the ones I had in Peoria, the stockies, like I'm still friends with them. Uh, they're, they're little guy or not so little guy now, but he came up to visit a couple summers. Like it was like, that's, you know, I had them for a year and a half, almost two years and two seasons. And, and like, yeah, like I, I cannot thank them enough. And the ones I had in Fayetteville and stuff like that, like it's, it's a, like you said, they're a lifesaver. They do, they go above and beyond. And and to be honest, it's not like, you know, these are all people making millions of dollars either, right? Like they're hardworking people that have kids and, you know, they're buying them stuff, but then they're taking you out for dinner and you just, I don't think you realize it till maybe the end of the year or you, you leave that team on uh, how fortunate you are to have people like that and, and to continue to stay friends with them and stuff like that. Because like you said, like it, you're not making a ton, but you know, for them to drop stuff off at your apartment or whatever, or help you out or when your parents come into town and stuff like that, it's, it just really changes, you know, the mindset and, and it really helps. And it's, it goes a long way. And some of those teams have unbelievable clubs. One question I have is like, what kept you personally motivated? And what I mean by that is, you know, obviously, you know, your first year you win a championship and then you go back your second year, you're still playing in the league. Maybe there's a thought in your head that's like, hey, like, you know, maybe by Christmas I can get called up to the East Coast. I don't know. I'm just making, just speaking out loud. But, you know, you're consistently playing in this league. And even at one point you went down to the the, the FHL uh, for a quick stint. Like what what kept you personally motivated to say, hey, like this is worth the the grind, uh, both physically and, and mentally. Yeah, I mean you're you're spot on. Sometimes I ask myself to this day why I, you know played so many years, but um, yeah. So after the championship year, I got I got invited to a East Coast camp, so that kind of gave me a little bit of taste. I went down to Adirondack um, with the Thunder there when they had an East Coast team, and that kind of gave me a little bit of taste of like you know can I make it? Can I not? Um, they had a pretty good affiliate system and, you know, it didn't work out. And then, like you mentioned, it kind of was a bit of a rocky start to that second year or first full year, I guess, for me is I went down to Macon because I got picked up in the expansion draft, you know, didn't, didn't really see eye to eye there and, you know, did enjoy my time there, but got, re- got released pretty much a couple, two or three weeks into the season where like every team's full at that point. And I'm like, okay, like maybe this is it. Like, I'm just going to, you know, East coast didn't work out. Now I just got released because of a numbers game. And now I'm just kind of like, okay, well, you know, what do I do now? And um, yeah, like you said, I had a quick, quick little couple weeks stint in the FPHL. And to be honest, if it wasn't for a buddy of mine, uh, Bootsy Greenside up in Peoria, I reached out to him. I'm like, Hey, did you guys have any spots? He's like, no, but like, I'll talk to the coach or whatever. And, and, uh, you know, the coach there knew who I was from their little Knoxville run. And, he kind of like actually persuaded me to keep going. And he was like, listen, don't go home and sit on your couch or you'll never get a call back. So at that point I was like, okay, I already trained all summer. Like I'll put one more year in and whatever. I'll just st- stick it out sort of thing. And he just said, he's like, go down to the feds. I guarantee you'll be up in two weeks. And like, I was like, whatever, like this might be it. Like, so I go down literally there for two weeks, get called up for one game. Cause a guy got called up from there. So I'm like, okay, great. You know, unbelievable experience in Peoria, like for one game, the rink and stuff like that get sent back down. I'm like, oh, here we go. Like it's going to be like this all year. And, uh, funny enough that following week got a call from, I think it was 
Columbus or someone and they're like, we're in Peoria this weekend. We need a D. And I'm like, oh man, I don't want to start, you know, I don't want the suitcase elite prospects to just start racking up here on three gamers. So I was like, you know what? Guy in, in Peoria like was like, you know, stick it out. You'll come back up with us by the end of the year. So I just trusted him to be honest. I trusted his word. And I told those guys, I was like, no, like, you know what? I'm good. I'm just going to play here this weekend. I'm tired of kind of ripping around. And funny enough, four days later, you know, that was on the Monday or Tuesday. I'm, I'm taking pregame skate in the morning at, in Danville and coach pulls me off the ice. He's like, you're going up to Peoria for the rest of the year, pack your bags. I was like, Oh, cool. So yeah. So I went up that weekend played against the guy that I told him I didn't want to get called up and yeah, that kind of was the story there. And yeah, that was, if it wasn't for Peoria kind of saving my year that year, I probably would have shut it down to be honest after that year. So my experience, you know, year and a half in Peoria is, is still some of the fondest memories I have. We had a, again, successful team and, um, you know, great, great group of guys. Like we still, again, that's the group chat we have of like that goes off daily with some characters in that group. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was a tough year. It's, it's a mental, you know, like you said, it's a mental grind. Like it's, you're like, why am I doing this? I'm going to get chirped. Like I'm up and down. Like, it's like, you know, why do you do it? And and like you said, it's not for the money. It's just because you love the game. And at that point I already had my education. So I was like, well, at this point, like, you know, I'm going to be working for 40 years anyways. What's the difference? So. And after, uh, after this, this grind, you decided to, to take the, you know, the journey overseas, uh, over to Europe, you, you signed in France and played, uh, parts of uh three seasons france germany and, and sweden um what was your decision kind of like the you know the final decision there to be like hey like i've had enough of this uh of the sp let's go try europe uh and see what it's it's got to bring and and also just you know your experiences in the in the three different countries because obviously france germany sweden like these are not uh these are not similar countries by by any means they all have their uh you know their quirks and their pros and cons i would say yeah, no, it's uh, like you said, after North America, the grind, the bus travels, you know, started talking to some buddies that were over there, you know, like yourself and and actually where I ended up in France, a buddy of mine had just played there for a year. He's like, oh, dude, come on over. It's like one game a week. You just you practice. You get a day off in the middle of the week. I'm like, oh, sounds like a dream, like whatever, like, you know, and the money ended up actually being better than the SP and um you know, I was able to go over with a couple guys I played in the SP with to France my first year. And yeah, the kind of the mindset was I was hearing all these great stories about Europe and that had never been there before. So I was like, okay, well, free ride, you know, free flight over. Like, why wouldn't I go like try it for a year? Same thing kind of was in the mindset of year to year at this point. And yeah, I went over to France with some buddies and we lived in the same house together. And, you know, it was a blast. Like it was like, it was to experience Europe for three years like you mentioned, three totally different countries, France, like, you know, beautiful scenery, food was unbelievable. Language was frustrating. Um, you know, Germany, you know, kind of an interesting kind of ran with the money there. It didn't work out. And then, you know, a year and a half in Sweden, which was kind of like North America. It was, uh, so an incredible experience. Got to see some buddies when I was over there, kind of trains, planes, and automobiles, a couple of trips, but, uh, and a couple, a couple of late nights with some dicey runs to the train stations. But, uh, no, I, I would, I wouldn't give that up for the world. Like I wouldn't have, I probably would have regretted not going over to Europe. And if I started working because, you know, the friendships, the places I got to see, you know, it's never, you can't put a price tag on that. And I've been fortunate to get back to Europe a couple of times now, last year for a wedding, 
this year for a big wedding as well. Uh, not to name names, but you know, maybe the host is getting married. So get to get back there. And, you know, again, it's, it's incredible how much I've been to Europe and some people haven't even been in their whole lifetime. So. I, I tell that to a lot of people, um, you know, obviously you get to a certain point where, you know, you know, you're not making the NHL, you're not making it for Europe, like the KHL or whatever, one of the top leagues. And it's, it's more about just the experience because I've always said the the real world can, can wait whether you started at 25 or 30, it's not really a big difference. You know, you're going to have these experiences in Europe of living in a country where maybe you don't speak the language, learning different currencies, uh, different types of food, stuff like that. It's going to, you know, only, uh, help you going forward and obviously like give you memories that, uh, are always fun to, to look back on. Um, I wanted to ask, where was your favorite place you played and where was the favorite place you traveled? Ooh, uh, favorite place I played. probably like my end of my career in Boros there in Sweden. Um, you know, nice ring, nice facility, nice town, good fans, like did it right. Like that was the first time I probably felt like I was really like in a pro atmosphere, like, you know, the flames going off when you're running out onto the ice, like they did a really good production. Actually, they just pushed for the Allsvenskan this year which was pretty cool. Uh, they made a good little run there and they're actually getting a new rink, but that was probably the best spot I played and then visited. Um, I don't know. Saw a lot of cool countries for like, like you kind of mentioned, they're all, they're all unique in their own little way. And, um, you know, obviously like I've been to Italy and Greece and, you know, France is gorgeous. You know, Germany was more North American style, but had the cool castles and stuff like that. Um, you know, I was fortunate to get to Austria, Czech. Like, honestly, I think, like you said, like, I don't know if I have a favorite place, but it's, you know, they're all just such amazing, unique countries that, you know, it was probably more of the, the experiences than the country. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, I had a lot of fun. And um yeah, like obviously, yeah, the beaches. I'm a beach guy and water guy. So the Italy's and the Greece's are up there. Um, but even like Copenhagen, like I don't think anyone would ever travel, quote unquote, to a Scandinavian country because it's all like Italy, Greece, Spain, like whatever. And I thought the Scandinavian countries were just as, you know, nice and like atmospheres and stuff like that than, you know, the other ones too, just different vibes. Oh, that's for sure. You definitely, when you hear of Europe, you don't hear of going to anywhere in Scandinavia, really, unless it's like, you know, a quick layover or something. It's <laughs> not, uh, it's not as glorious as Italy or Greece, stuff like that. Um, yeah. So after these, uh, after these three years in, uh, in Europe, you know, you obviously decided to, uh, to hang them up, retire and, and obviously get into the, you know, the real world. Uh, what was kind of your reasoning behind that because obviously you know as you said you you played in Boros there and you obviously were were like there and had been doing well yeah it's it's never you know it goes back to the whole whether you play in the lower levels or the higher levels or whatever it's never easy to just you know say you're done right and that's something that's uh, I struggled with for a while obviously a pandemic happened and that kind of maybe pushed me in the I'll never forget me, you and Juice all calling each other, seeing how fast we could get home before this. At that point, we thought the country was shutting down. So meanwhile, Sweden never shut down once. So, I mean, I could have stayed there probably the rest of my life. But uh, I think that kind of pushed it a little bit. You know, my parents are older. You know, my dad's 72 and stuff like that. So you do 
you do start to miss the the Christmases and the Thanksgivings and stuff like that. It does take a toll a bit, especially in Europe where you're not, you know, a quick five, six hour drive home and stuff like that. I, you know, one year I didn't even see my family for the full eight months. So I think mentally it takes a little bit of toll and, and just, you know, it does come down to financials a little bit too, where, you know, you want to get on with life and you want to experience, you know, working and stuff like that, that, you know, I had a good run, you know, I, again, we go back to the, where we started this podcast and in my junior, you know, even midget year, um, you know, never would have thought I played till I was 30. Right. So, um, you know, life experience and stuff like that, I wouldn't change for the world, but I just, I felt like it was time. And like I said, the pandemic kind of maybe helped persuade me a little bit. And, you know, now I'm fortunate to be home and working and, uh, you know, doing all those things that I missed, like Thanksgiving and stuff like that. So it's, uh, it's bittersweet. Um, you know, as, as you know, we tend to live through our friends now and stuff like that. And, um, but you know, again, I got, we got buddies that have worked for 10 years before we ever did. And, you know, they wouldn't, they would change what they made to our life experience. So, um, yeah, it wouldn't change anything for the world. And now, now quote unquote, I tell people I'm in the real world working. So it's, uh, it's a grind. So take your time to get there. That's for sure. Because it, uh, it's not going anywhere to say the least. True words have not been spoken. Um, I was going to ask you if you ever thought you would have played as long as you did and the career you had, but you just answered that. So thank you for saving me asking that. Um, one thing I was curious about too, you know, you just mentioned your parents. So obviously, uh, you know, a, a little, a little older, I would say when having you and stuff. So how was their, you know, support through all this, especially, you know, when you were playing SP and then, and then Europe as well, because as you said, like there was times where you'd go maybe eight months without, without seeing them. So were they always like very supportive of what you're doing, you know, always trying to just help you enjoy the experience as long as you could? Yeah. I mean, I couldn't ask for a better support system through, you know, my parents and my sister, um, you know, they, they sacrifice a lot as we all know, anyone that's played hockey, like the money and the time, 6am or you name it, they, uh, they did it all for us. Right. And, um, you know, yeah, it was hard. Like even some of the times where I was kind of bouncing around a bit, you know, I'd call my dad for advice and he'd be like, you know, his biggest thing and his advice to me was always like, get your education and then go do whatever you want. Like, you know, get that education, get that piece of paper and then go have fun. Like what, like what else are you going to do? Right. Like you can't, I mean, you know, you can't uh, trade what my experiences were for, for money or, or that. So yeah, I can't thank them enough. And, um, you know, I think anyone that has a kid playing sports and stuff like that, you, I try and instill it in my guys now that like, Hey, like make sure you thank your parents. Cause like this stuff isn't given, it's not cheap. And like, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, I picked up senior hockey a bit this year and my dad was the first one at the gate. My mom was the first one at the gate, you know, fortunate enough to play with my sister's uh, boyfriend and stuff like that too. So, you know, her coming out, my girlfriend coming out, like it was, you know, it was finally cool to see a smile on his face and, and just, you know, be proud again to come to the rinks and watch me play and stuff. doesn't matter what level. Like I, I try to tell people that so much, like, as we've talked about at the start, like it, everyone's so caught up and on the, you know, whether it's minor hockey with the three letters or yeah, I played a uh, first level pro in whatever country versus third, third level. Like it's, you know, you gotta eventually think of what's, in, what's more important. And, you know, it's about enjoying the experience and, I've said this before, like me personally, I wish I enjoyed mine more. I was always trying to think about the next step instead of enjoying where I was and uh, being happy for that accomplishment that I had done at that time and point. Um, but yeah, now you've transitioned to the other side. So you are now 
head coach of the the U18 uh, Burlington Eagles AAA. Uh, I believe that would be midget if when we like back to when we were playing, but a couple things about, about that, like, how is it obviously, you know, first juggling a full-time job and then obviously spending your nights, uh, you know, at the rink, you know, whether it's for practice games, traveling for tournaments, stuff like that. And did you always plan when you were done playing, Hey, I'd love to get into in coaching or stay involved in hockey. Yeah, I mean, it's something I definitely want to give back, um, give back to the game. And I had done like, you know, even when I was playing, I was doing some, I was helping out with this company called NF Hockey and was doing some stuff in the summer with little kids and stuff. And my last year, senior, uh, sorry, in Sweden there, I, I actually helped out with the J20 team is which, what they call like kind of junior hockey over there. And and they kind of allowed me to kind of, you know, because I, I was like, you know what, I'm going to get into coaching when I get home. Like, can I help out sort of thing? And so I was just helping out with the older kids. And that's where I kind of found my love for like coaching older guys. Like I like to develop the younger kids with like skill development and stuff, but I like coaching the older guys because I can relate to them. I just came out of the game. I'm young. Um, so yeah, when I came home, obviously it was that pandemic year. So it was kind of a tough, <laughs> tough intro to coaching where you're, you know, one guy, one coach, 10 kids on the ice for a full eight months. But kind of what I told people was like, if this is the worst case scenario, you know, hopefully it's only up from here. So um, yeah, I've been very fortunate. Uh, I started in Oakville with the Rangers there my first year with um, as an assistant. And funny enough, a guy I met along the way, Corey Locke, um, got into the Eagles organization and said, Hey, you're like, you're coming back over. You were Burlington Eagle. You're going to, you're going to coach in Burlington. So I said, okay, like I, you know, I'd only like to coach a certain age group or a couple, you know, U16, U15, U18, like those are kind of the older groups. And yeah, it all ended up working out. And, and then, yeah, the, the whole juggling act is, uh, I'm, uh, I'm fortunate that, uh, I still have a girlfriend through it all, but, um, yeah, no, it's, it's tough. Like you're, you're working nine to five, you're, the phone calls, the emails, like, I think the tough part is, is people are like, well, you're at the ring three times a week. I'm like, yeah, but you know, the hours behind the scenes, like U18 now we're pretty much at the rink four to five times a week. Um, you know, I still do skill development on the side. It's, it's still a grind. It's just a different grind. It's the the real world grind, I call it, but, uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. The, the rink's my happy place. And, you know, I'm fortunate that everyone around me understands that and, and allows me to do that. But, Again, you talk about support systems. If it wasn't for that, then, you know, if it wasn't for the people I have around me, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. And, and you know, it's, you know, moving kids on from U18 to junior programs and stuff like that or work or, you know, we had a guy go D1 lacrosse last year. That's that's kind of the most rewarding part about it is, you know, yeah, it's great to win trophies and stuff. But to see these kids come back to the rink and say, hey, Corbs, like, you know, thanks for everything and stuff like that. And parents, like, that's kind of why I got into it. Not so much for the the championship trophies is more for just helping these kids along the way. Cause you know, like we've kind of talked about, I had a unique path. I did a lot on my own and uh, now I'm just trying to get back and help those kids, um, you know, move on. That's one thing that I think is lost along on a lot of people is, you know, when everybody thinks of, you know, retired pro hockey player goes into coaching, they immediately think, Oh, so are you in the OHL or what pro level are you at? Like they don't, I wouldn't say it's not as appreciated, but it definitely flies a little bit under the radar of guys like yourself who are, you know, in the minor hockey system and giving back and sharing your experiences, your unique path with these kids and helping them, you know, kind of guide them along the way to whatever they want to do in life, whether it's go CIS, NCAA, OHL, uh, you know, going to the real world after high school, it doesn't matter. Like, uh, 
you know, you're just as important, if not more important than, uh, you know, pro hockey coaches, whatever it is, especially at this age too. I think, you know, you're, you're coaching kids, you know, they're 16, 17 years old, like, the, you know, they're getting to the end of their high school careers. Then like a lot of them, it's okay. So what now? Like, you know, so I, I, I definitely appreciate, you know, people like yourself who put all that time and effort in, and I'm sure that's what also makes it, you know, rewarding the sacrifice, the long hours. Um, and I'm sure your, your special ones, you know, like your girlfriend see that, that, you know, it's not just, you know, an excuse to get away from home, maybe sometimes, uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's, there's a purpose behind it. You know, you have a plan and, and you're, you're putting that plan in motion. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like you said, I think everyone, you know, like I said, the, the most rewarding part is usually at the end of the year for me when, you know, the texts, the long texts start to come in from the guys you coached this year and just thank, thank you for everything you've done. And that's what makes, you know, the hours, the time, the phone calls, the emails, the practices, the late nights, you know, all that stuff kind of, um, you know, feel like you've accomplished something and you've moved guys on. And and now I'm kind of, because I'm only in my second year now, I'm starting to see guys like have success at junior and stuff like that. And it's cool to be like, Hey, I coached that kid. And Hey, you know, or like, you know, like I said, the one guy down at Robert Morris for lacrosse, like, Hey, I, you know, I coached him in U18 and now he's playing D1 lacrosse or I got guys that are, you know, working. I just helped a guy get a job because I was a reference. Right. So it's like, it's kind of cool to, to see the full circle of these kids. And, um, you know, I think the misconception too is, is that, you know, all these people are like, you know, oh, he played in the NHL, he can coach. Like if you can't relate to kids and you can't connect with kids, like you you can't coach. And that's just, I think that's the misconception is everyone, when they retire from hockey, they're like, oh, I'll just run a kid's camp and make a bunch of money. But it's like, it's not about that. Like it's, you know, like the best experiences are the the ones that can connect with the kids and, and make, you know, and tell their stories. And that's why, you know, funny enough, our biggest quote in our dressing room at U18 is trust the process. Cause that was kind of my, you know, my kind of upbringing was just trusting the process, trusting in myself. And, and, you know, now it's kind of become a little bit of a theme for our program. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, for a lot of kids, it's not a, it's not a race, it's a marathon. And um, like you said, like the perfect example is Wayne Gretzky. So greatest hockey player ever to play the game could not teach you know, coach at the NHL level is obviously extreme, but you know, he did things at such a different pace, you know, was able to understand the game in a different way that a lot of people couldn't. So I feel like his teaching techniques, you know, didn't transition to the the coyotes at that time. And, you know, as you said, it's having those skills to be able to, you know, communicate while showing how to play the game, how to be, you know, a better human being first and foremost, you know, be it preparing them for adulthood, stuff like that, and giving them a lot of life skills. Uh, I think that's obviously, you know, something that goes a long way. It shouldn't just be about, yeah, I played 10 years NHL. So that means I should automatically get this job, or that means I'm going to be a good coach, as you said, et cetera. Um, I wanted to ask you, so how, how has triple a changed? Like, you know, obviously it's been a hundred years since we played, I think like whatever, <laughs> 17 years or, or whatever it is since we were in those systems but how's uh you know how's the hockey changed uh like what are some of the differences you definitely noticed right away yeah i mean first of all it's just like coming back into minor hockey it's just it's a whirlwind like the politics the like i thought i mean now that i look back on our career like we thought there was the odd politics but like i don't think it's anything compared to today like you know money talks and this and that like that's i think 
like we kind of talked this whole podcast, like a lot of these kids, a lot of these parents, like they didn't have a lot of adversity. They don't have a lot of adversity in life. Like they kind of just get, and it's not that I, you know, blame parents or whatever, but like, there's just no, they're just given everything. Like there's nothing earned anymore. Like we, like you talked about, we slept on buses for 14 hours. Like it was a grind. And like, these kids are like, well, you know, why, why am I not getting first line minutes? Why am I not playing on the park? Like, well, it's like, what, like, why, why should you like that's And that's what I'm trying to really bring back, at least with my program is that like, you, you got to earn things like this isn't given like, you know, life, like you just don't get a job and don't show up. Like, like, you know, we, you know, I had jobs, I had schoolwork, I had like the time management back when we think like, you know, everything was like structured and now it's, um, it's, it's sometimes, you know, disappointing to see where the kind of the game's gone with all the, you know, all the people that are, you know, you hear these stories, you know, getting paid under the table and this and that, and you know, what people are willing to pay. Like if like, you know, junior hockey, now we go back to that. Like we never paid to play junior hockey. Now people are paying like nine, 12,000 a year for junior hockey. Like my dad would have told me to kick rocks and start working and get a paper route or something. Like there's no chance he would have paid 12 grand a year to get me to play junior. He just, it just, we didn't have the money. Like it wasn't. So like, it's crazy to see like how much is around money nowadays and financials and stuff like that. Like it's, I mean, like when me and you played junior, like we were given like sticks and skates and stuff and pads. Like, it wasn't like we had to go out and like, Hey, you get two sticks this year and that's it. You can buy the rest on your own. You're like, I'm, I'm paying you nine grand. How do I get two sticks? Like it's, it's changed a lot. So I, I really try and bring, you know, bring back the grassroots, I guess, if you want to call it a minor hockey when I remember. And, and back then, like you mentioned, I think, you know, you couldn't get releases and stuff like that that easy. Now it's like a wild west where like, you know, I got my first email for U18 in like December of interest for like this year coming up. So it's just, it's turned a bit chaotic. You know, I try and stay away from the, you know, I try and just coach the way I was brought up, I guess. And um, yeah, it's a unique, unique world to say the least now and juniors, you know, owned by a lot of parents. It's, it's changed a lot, I think. And you know, I, I just try and run my program like it was back when we played. How's your, uh, this question just came to my head while you were talking. How's your, like your scouting. So like your resources, cause obviously, as you said, you're getting emails from parents saying, hi, my kid is, my kid is interested in playing for your team next year. Um, whether he is ready or not, that's above the, above the point. But, you know, are you like, driving to see these kids to be, like to see them personally live are you you know does instat cover your leagues I, I don't really know like how would someone like yourself you know give give every kid you know having the, the most resources for you to make a decision yeah i mean it starts with yeah like you, you are scouting like I, I tell people all the time like u18 is about as crazy as junior <laughs> or as close to junior as possible minus you can't trade kids during the year and you can't pretty much cut kids like it's like you're, you're siphoning through emails, you're leaning on you 16 coaches, like, um, you know, from other organizations, like, Hey, this kid emailed me, like, tell me about them. Right. Um, you know, they just had their OMHAs, They just had their playoffs. Like you're going to those, like you're, again, that's what people don't see behind the scenes of U18. They think, Oh, minor hockey coach, like you're on the road, you're scouting, you're doing whatever, um, you know, and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it becomes a big kids are sending video. We have huddle. Uh, which is similar to Instat, but kids are sending you highlight clips. And yeah, it's, it's, and me being a nice guy, I feel like I obligated to reply to every single email I get, even though I know a kid's maybe not ready, but 
you know, that's probably where some of my time and effort goes in. Cause I was that kid that was, I mean, you know, you, you went through it a little bit too. We were shooting for the stars, sometimes emailing teams and GMs and stuff like that and getting no replies. Right. So now that I'm on the flip side of it, I feel like I have to reply to every, every uh, email or phone call I get, but uh, yeah, that, that takes up half of your time too, right there. Oh, we definitely, uh, we got a lot of reds, uh, a lot of, a lot of no replies and honestly being on the other side of it. Um, I can definitely understand why we got ignored a little bit because you do get some ridiculous emails from guys thinking that they're ready for your league or this level. And it's, you know, they send you a, a four page essay on why they're ready. And I'm just like, look, like, I'm sorry, but you know, I, I like you, I, yeah, like you, I, I try to be, you know, respectful and reply and be like, Hey, like, you know, I would recommend these leagues first or we're full on this. Like just so they at least have an answer and they're not waiting in the yeah. wind and they, they can kind of know like how it usually works in terms of the, you know, like the depth charts, like moving up and stuff. But, um, yeah, funny world for sure. Um, how, like what's so what's next for you then so like are you comfortable staying in this kind of you know u18 role do you want to maybe one day go up to junior maybe higher or are you you know you have a good job so you're comfortable you know balancing both uh you know your your, your full-time job and then your second uh, full-time job yeah i mean i'm i'm committed to come back here next year i, I did have some junior interest at the end of this year uh in the junior b loop mainly um possibly head coach possibly assistant coach kind of you know up in limbo but uh i don't know i really like this age group like you mentioned it's um i think i like this age group a bit too because it's not as business oriented as junior where like it's you know you're not really you don't want to connect with the kids too much because they might get traded they might get you might have to cut the kid where like here it's like i feel like i can kind of grow a bit more of a relationship with the kids and then help them kind of move on and um, yeah, I mean, down the road, it's not to say that I don't want to move to junior or, I mean, I think the OHL is kind of out for me now just with the travel and, and, you know, the pay there. And I mean, obviously, you know, the sliding scale and the old, but, um, just with where I am at in life and stuff like that, I think, I think the only thing I would turn my head at funny enough would probably be youth sports because, you know, you're, your six, seven month job, you're, you're employed by the school, you get a pension, you get, you know, benefits. Like that's probably the only area I would look at with, you know, maybe some of the schools close by like Brock, Laurier, Waterloo, Guelph. Um, you know, that's probably where, where my head would turn if I had some interest there, but, you know, in saying that I might, you know, they might want me at junior first before I go there. Right. So I'm content here for now, um, back here for another year. And, um, you know, after that, we'll see kind of year by year. Yeah. I mean, those school jobs, you know, I've, I've heard from many people, whether it's, you know, U sports or, or NCAA that if you're fortunate enough to have one of those and you can work your way up, like they're good jobs. And obviously like last week's guest, like John Whitelay, who I played with, you know, he's been grinding it for seven years as an assistant coach and you know as him as he said you know you have to have a couple side hustles on the side you know because it isn't, isn't a lot of money but once you do get to that you know head coach status and you know whatever it is then then you do have a chance to to be living pretty pretty decent and be in a very comfortable position you know controlling a program and how they build but uh no i mean i've always said people sometimes think too far ahead and you, you know, you're, you're, you're living in the moment. You're doing a good job of what you're doing. You know, you guys are having success every year. You're turning kids out. Um, obviously you've, 
found uh, an age group, a place where you feel comfortable, you continue to do good work there. So it's, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't change things when it's, when it's going the way it is. So I'm happy that you've, uh, you know, found that place. And the last question I have for you every week, ask the guests the same thing. If you were to give yourself, uh, you know, your younger self, some, you know, one piece of advice called piece of advice for any of the younger generation listening, you know, 16, 17 year old out there, the kids you deal with every day, you know, what advice would you give them uh, when you look back on your experiences, your career? Uh, to be honest, just, just soak it all in. Like you kind of said, like, don't look too far ahead. Don't, I think the biggest problem now is kids compare themselves to other kids, like whether it's status or whatever, like just enjoy your ride. And and like, we've talked about this whole podcast, everyone has their own path and everyone has their own way of getting there. And if you have the mindset that you're going to do what you want to do, then, then just worry about yourself. I think we're so caught up in society these days of, um, you know, comparing ourselves to whether it's work or hockey or whatever, you know, I got a kid that, stuck with me for two years and is now going to the Alberta junior hockey league. And he just trusted in the process and, you know, other kids bounced around and went to junior and, and, but now like me, like they're all ending up in the same spot. They're both going to the Alberta junior hockey league, two different paths. One played junior B for two years, one played junior or uh, U18 for two years. Right. And he just, he trusted, he tuned out the noise. And and that's what I would say is just kind of soak it all in, do what you want to do. Tell your parents to, just believe in themselves, you know, and them too, because they kind of listen to the noise and uh, just kind of, you know, take every day with uh, like, it's your last sort of thing. True words are never spoken. Uh, Corbs, I appreciate you taking, taking the time, sharing your story, sharing your advice for, for everyone listening. And uh, yeah, again, thank you. And uh, you know, I'll see you soon. Always a pleasure, buddy. And uh, yeah, I think we got some things, things up in the works here between the two of us. So it'd be good to have you back on uh, Canadian soil and then uh, maybe take off for a little South trip before we go back to Europe. So I'm excited and uh, big things coming for you as well. So happy to, happy to be here and happy to be on. Appreciate it. Um, And those, for those who are listening, thanks again for taking the time and until next week, cheers and ciao.